Welcome to Demand and Disrupt the Disability Podcast. Here, we will learn to advocate for ourselves and each other. This podcast is supported with funds from the Advocado Press based in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome, everyone. We are here with Keith Hosey. Keith Hosey has been a guest on Demand and Disrupt before. He is on the board of directors for the Center for Accessible Living, and he is now serving in his capacity as roving reporter for Demand and Disrupt. Hey, Keith, how are you? Hey, Kimberly, thanks for having me. I I appreciate it and I love the roving reporter uh, title. (laughs) So you went out and uh, did some interviewing for us. And so so tell me where you went. Um, So I went to the Kentucky State APSI conference, which is uh, the Association of People Supporting Employment First. It's a membership association. They used to be the Association of Professionals in Supported Employment. So this is, uh, this is a conference for individuals who are working in the field of helping people with disabilities find jobs. I see. I see. So tell us real quick, what, it, what are we talking about when we say supported employment? Yeah, so um, supported employment is a a type of um, employment support where an individual helps someone who has a disability gain and maintain a job. So um, in my day job, I I work in supported employment, actually, um, and, and I've done that for a long time. And so what we do is we meet with an individual, we get to know that person, we get to know their strengths, their abilities. Uh, what they like, what their goals are, what their, what their um, aspirations are, and we work with them in tandem to help them gain a job. And then we help them maintain that job for, for a period of time until they feel stable in that job. Okay. And this, so this conference is a lot of people in various aspects of doing that kind of work, right? It, it is. It, so it, it's, a, it's a good coming together and um, chance for collaboration between our state vocational rehabilitation staff who uh, are the individuals who are, are paying for the, some of these services and our uh, direct service providers. So the individuals that are actually out there in the field day to day helping people find jobs and then supporting them in their workplace. Um, as well as uh, some of the other ancillary groups that work around that field. So, uh, for example, our our interview today that we're going to be showcasing is with Protection and Advocacy, who uh, is not involved specifically in supported employment, but has some roles around supported employment in in the state of Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So who are we going to be talking to uh, today? So um, we're going to be talking with my friend, Beth Metzger, who is an employee of Kentucky Protection and Advocacy, PNA, is what sometimes people refer to that agency as. It's a state agency. I've known Beth for years now. I believe, you know, we met, uh, oh my goodness, we might even know each other for close to 20 years. She's been with Protection and Advocacy for a long time. She's a very knowledgeable person. Uh, I enjoy her company. I always um, enjoy her intellect. And, uh, you know, she does a great job with uh, 
everything she does there at Protection and Advocacy. And, and it's really a great group over there as well. I've had the pleasure of working with a number of people there, Protection and Advocacy. Okay. And so before we, we hear your interview with Beth, I think we wanted to clear up a few acronyms and things, right? Absolutely. So tell me what, what, what do we got first? Let's actually start with uh, the Michelle P waiver was mentioned in the interview. Um, our listeners may not know what the Michelle P waiver is. Here in Kentucky, like many other states, we have what are called Medicaid waivers, uh, 1915C Medicaid waivers here in Kentucky. And what those things do is someone's on Medicaid, they can utilize these waivers to get additional services to support them in the community. Um, so Michelle P waiver um, provides assistance to individuals with intellectual or developmental disabilities to help them in, live in the community as independently as possible. And, and there's, a, there's a menu of services under each of those Medicaid waivers. Other Medicaid waivers in the state of Kentucky, um, there's an acquired brain injury waiver, there's a home and community-based waiver, and then there's a supports for community living waiver, as well as a, a, another waiver that uh, is called the Model 2 waiver. The, so these are all ways for people who are on Medicaid to get extra supports, correct? Absolutely. And, and the point of all of them are, uh, other than the Model 2 waiver, I'm not as familiar with that. Um, I believe that's more medically-based as far as medical services, uh, but all these other ones I can speak to, the, all of them, their purpose is to help individuals with disabilities get out into the community and, and become parts of the community um, uh, with services such as, you know, personal care if they need it or um, behavioral supports if they need it. Um, you know, respite for caregivers or community living supports where, um, you know, you can have someone take you out and if you want to start a hobby or you want to go to a social setting and meet people, they can kind of be your paid wingman. Okay, excellent. And if, uh, if any of our listeners feel like uh, you might be, those, those supports might be something that would help you, you can reach out to your nearest center for independent living in Kentucky, reach out to Center for Accessible Living. And if you're anywhere else, maybe reach out to Department for Community-Based Services or equivalent. It is. It's the Cabinet for Fam Health and Family Services. Okay. All right, then. And now let's listen to Keith's interview. I'm sitting here with Beth Metzger with the Kentucky State Protection and Advocacy Program. And she's going to tell us a little bit about what PNA does and how they're involved in the employment programs in Kentucky. Beth, welcome. Thank you, Keith. Um, <clears throat> Kentucky Protection and Advocacy was uh, created as the state's federally mandated system to protect and promote the disability rights of folks in Kentucky. It came out of a revision to the Developmental Disabilities Act and our office was created in 1975. We are physically located within the Public Defender's Office, uh, which is kind of unusual um, because they don't handle civil cases and we don't handle criminal cases, but it actually works. Um, 
<clears throat> because we, we provide them with a lot of technical assistance because um, quite a few of the individuals who are represented by public defenders are folks with disabilities. Our office is located in Frankfurt, but we cover all 120 counties of the Commonwealth. We, um, all of our services are free, regardless of income. We can provide, and also uh, regardless of citizenship status. We provide information and referral services, technical assistance, Tra uh, do educational trainings, and we are able to do some uh, limited legal representation. I keep using the word legal because our office is considered as a law practice, but we're a bit unusual because we have both attorneys and non-attorneys like myself on staff. And uh, amazingly enough, we do, the attorneys and non-attorneys work very well together. Um, and um, so everything that we do is considered to be legally based. Everything that I handle is reviewed by at least one attorney to make sure that there is legal accuracy. And also, if there are any questions about whether or not uh, something is, is covered by law and specifically how, I, I can consult with the attorneys on staff. For those of you all who have ever heard of the Michelle P. waiver, uh, that actually came about because of a settlement agreement between PNA and um, and the cabinet for now the health and family services. It was something else back back when it was first filed. And the settlement came out of us filing a lawsuit against the cabinet be, uh, over the supports for community living waiver waiting list being incredibly, incredibly long and people were frankly dying before they got services. We never dreamed that Michelle P. would actually have a waiting list. But you know, hindsight is twenty twenty when it comes to that. Our, even though our, off, uh, our office was created out of the Developmental Disabilities Act, we can provide our services to all people with every type of disability. It's basically um, cradle to grave. And um, folks with disabilities contact us, their family members, professionals, well, we have providers, we have attorneys, law enforcement, you name it, people will contact us. And everyone who, who contacts us, they will not get, um, get sent directly over to an attorney or an advocate. We do have a process because we average over 200 calls a month new calls so and which is uh, huge for a staff of 21 and that includes our support staff so we we do contact people within uh, within three business days and if a situation is not considered as whatever person what, what whatever's going on with the individual is not considered as being directly related to the the person's disability, like like someone uh, with a disability who um, who's going through a divorce, 
You know, a divorce can happen to anybody. So, so our office is not able to provide representation on that. Unfortunately, there are other agencies that, that if folks contact them about that same issue, they'll say, oh, sorry, we don't do that, and that's it. We at least try to steer people in the right direction and, and also understanding that as much as we would love to represent every individual, there, it, it just is not humanly possible um, with, with our resources. Now, when it comes to employment for folks with disabilities within the Commonwealth, we, we have our hands in a lot of things. We uh, have a, a grant, uh, which is Protection and Advocacy for Beneficiaries of Social Security, and um, that all of that mouthful basically means that if someone receives SSI or SSDI and they want to go back to work, but are experiencing issues with getting on the job accommodations and so forth, they can contact us and, um, and we can see about possibly opening a case and representing them with the employer to try to get reasonable accommodations. I spend an awful lot of my time uh, talking to people about what reasonable accommodations are and the fact that <clears throat> getting accommodations is a negotiation process. Just because a doctor writes a prescription for something does not mean that the um, employer has to do it. It's just like a if a doctor did the same thing for a child in special education. Neither the employer nor the schools are required to fill prescriptions like a pharmacy would. And, and so we, I, I talk an awful lot with folks about that. I have um, cases right now where I am representing folks with their employers to get those, those reasonable accommodations. Sometimes it's a, it's a quick fix, other times it's not. And as long as the folks want us to be involved and, and what they're asking for is reasonable, I'll stick with them. Another way that we're involved with, with uh, about employment, too, is our, the, the client assistance program, uh, which uh, gets involved if there are any types of issues a person may have, either with um, services through vocational rehabilitation or the Centers for Independent Living. That, that program used to, resi- used to be housed within Voc Rehab, which is problematic in itself. It, uh, the program was officially redesignated by Governor Bashir um, over to PNA, and it, uh, that redesignation became final in September of 2021. Actually, it was September 11th of 2021. And I uh, became the state's client assistance program coordinator in, on March 1st of 2022. I have been involved. I've I've worked for PNA for over 20 years. So um, so working with folks with disabilities to get uh, make sure that that their rights are upheld.
held is is a long time dream and goal and I, I frankly don't see myself being anywhere else. As for the client assistance program, since I am in charge of the beneficiaries of Social Security Grant and the client assistance program, I'm able to do an awful lot in, in supporting folks with, uh, with disabilities when, when it comes to employment. With the, with the client assistance program, I am able to provide representation to them with voc rehab, and which means that it's not like we go, I go in and, and say, okay, we're going to sue you or anything like that. It's all, it, it starts with, with communication. In fact, uh, I am federally mandated to resolve, try to resolve issues with voc rehab and the SILs at the lowest administrative level possible. And, and so and the number one thing that I have found in the little over a year that I've been doing this is, is that there's a, a breakdown in communication. And, and so for the most part, with the exception of a couple of, of cases, of a couple of in, um, incidents, issues uh, have been, been successfully resolved with, within a few months. And some of them are just simply talking to the, the person's counselor. Other times it is um, actually representing people with with an appeal to a denial so that's that's how how that works i also have been um i've created an employment rights training an interactive training um uh, that i have taken on the road i have i'm primarily i have focused on the sheltered workshops because we have 25 certificate holders last time i checked through the Department of Labor that allows these programs to pay sub-minimum wage to, um, to individuals with disabilities. And it's really interesting that the law that created that was from 1938. That law, it, 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 was, it was created out of good intentions because uh, there were all of these disabled war veterans who, who wanted to work but nobody would hire them, and so um, so the feds decided to create this law. It's the Fair Wages Standards Act, I do believe, and Fair Labor Standards Act, right? Yes, Fair yes, yes, Fair Labor Standards Act. Sorry about that. I have I have lots of um, of names of laws running around in my head, and and and, and you know our our lawmakers very rarely will will pick um, uh, short names for laws so <laughs> so I, I want to talk about this okay. because um, not everyone knows that 14c certificates mm -hmm. there are there are 24 25 ish agencies in the state of Kentucky and there are a lot more across the US right. who are legally allowed to pay people with disabilities under minimum wage because it, it, it's a very old law as you said it had good intentions um, I want to ask you your perspective um, both personally and protection and advocacy um, what do you think it will take for Kentucky to end sub minimum wage 
Yeah, that's that's a really, really great question, Keith. Kentucky PNA's stance and my stance are one and the same, and that is sub-minimum wage should not exist because everybody, everybody, regardless of disability status, guardianship status, whatever, has the right, and if they want to work, they have the right to try. And my office has the stance too, and also our, the National Disability Rights Network that our agency is part of, is that, that everyone, regardless of disability, has the right to earn at least minimum wage. And being able, employers being able to, um, to provide that or, or to, to pay less than, than minimum wage, well, first of all, it, it sends, sends a terrible, terrible message to the individuals that they are less than. Also, you know, while the, the folks are being provided or doing work for sheltered workshops for, for sub-minimum wage, we have to think about on the other side of that with the contracts. Who what businesses are contracting for this and and are they truly unable to pay people a living wage because what subminimum wage does is keeps people with disabilities in pop and it's like okay not only uh, are, are you going to have to fight for services fight for accommodations fight for a an, an accessible place to live we aren't going to let you stay uh get out of out of poverty and which is horrible absolutely horrible other states have completely abolished 14 c's and from what we have seen is that it's like a two-prong approach. And of course, this would have to go through legislation. The first prong is to um, require everyone to be paid at least minimum wage. There are some certificate holders who do not pay sub-minimum wage. They pay regular, they, they pay um, minimum wage. Unfortunately, on the flip side of that, what we're, what, what's gone on with that is they have seen a decrease in their contracts. So, okay, higher wages, but less time worked. So that doesn't really help. But, you know, with anything legislative, it has to be taken in baby steps. So first would be, okay, everybody is to be paid minimum wage. Second, and then, and only then, could it go forward with, okay, if you are unwilling to pay minimum wage, you um, won't exist as an employer. Um, that's the way it has been successfully done in other states. And I have, well, there are 57 56 or 57 protection and advocacy offices throughout the U.S. Uh, and um, states and territories, and all of us are in this fight. And through our national network, we are able to share legal information about what has worked and what hasn't worked. 
Now, call to action here, though. My agency is not allowed to lobby, but you are. So... As an individual citizen... Yes. All of us can call our elected officials. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. And, and honestly, sometimes what it takes is the volume. So if you have a group of friends who, like, um, through our, you might be organized through um, a Center for Independent Living or what have you, or if you just have a group of friends, um, and, and you don't have to, uh, the, the people who call legislators, they don't have to have disabilities. And oh, one thing too about the um, 14 C's is that they are basically targeted for people with intellectual disabilities. And um, and interestingly enough, I don't know if you know this or not, Keith, but the um, WIOA, the Work Incentives and Op Opportunities, Opportunities Act. Yeah. Act, does not allow a sheltered workshop to pay subminimum wage to a person who is under the age of 24. I did not know that. So, so if your listeners, if anybody out there is uh, is below the age of 24 and they are getting subminimum wage, please call PNA and we can see what we can do um, about rectifying that. And it may be that, that, that we would need to um, bring in the Kentucky Department of Labor's Wage and Hour Division um, since, since they are the ones who handle that. But, but that would be a violation of WIOA. And uh, that's, that, that knowledge that I'm passing along to you about the age, that is something that has been in the law. And it, it was, but it has... There has been a, cl a recent clarification of that, an explanation of that. Um, and so, but getting back to um, they're not uh, about contacting your legislators. Um, we're not just talking about your, your local legislators. We're talking both state and federal. And have everybody that you know contact them and um, and say, look, this isn't right because people with disabilities have the right to earn just like everybody else because we are worth something just like everybody else. Wow. Thanks, Keith, for doing that interview for us. There was a lot of good information there. Yeah, I really appreciated uh, Beth's explanation of everything I could I really couldn't have asked for a better um, explanation so I, I wanted to dig in a little bit she she talked about the sub minimum wage issue and I know that's an issue that uh, is very important to you also so can you tell me a little about that what do I need to know Absolutely. So uh, subminimum wage is something that has been around for a little while. Um, so uh, just a, a really quick history lesson here. The Fair Labor Standards Act, which was passed in, uh, you know, I, I think 1934, maybe I, somewhere around that time, had a clause in it. 14C was the clause. And it allowed for subminimum wage to be paid to individuals with disabilities. The idea behind it 
um, and the intention uh, at the time were, were good. The idea was people with disabilities just couldn't work as well as non-disabled, but, but we'd love for them to be able to be some type of productive member of the society. So we'll allow for these certificates to go out where a company could hire people with disabilities who had um, just essentially 100% unemployment rate and, and give them a job and pay them a wage that, as they said then, was comparable to the production output value. So, you know, at, at the time, it, it, it was probably innovative. It is 2023 right mm -hmm. now. Um, and it just doesn't jive anymore. Uh, you know, the, the entire premise behind it is that people with disabilities can't contribute in a meaningful way to society in employment and that's just not true and we've and we know it's not true I'm a person with a disability and I'm contributing into our workforce and my job is to help people with disabilities do that as well um, and I can tell you there's a whole lot of us out there pulling our weight and mm -hmm. the fact that this relic of legislation is still around, you know, it's, it's kind of you, you buy those funny books in, in an airport of like outdated laws. And in Massachusetts, uh, any hotel still has to, um, you know, uh, stable a horse of a traveler like, you know, it just doesn't make any sense in current day, um, but it's still on the books. Uh, and, and so that's something nationally that's still on the books. And I can absolutely see why some employers uh, would want to keep that on the books, right? Yeah. So when your people who are producing are pennies on the dollar per hour and your product is selling for, you know, whatever uh, going rate right now in our economy, you're going to make some good money probably. Um, unfortunately, it is on the backs of people with disabilities. Uh, and, and the whole point, and, and here's the, the other thing that often gets lost in the conversation. Um, the whole point of this uh, uh, 14C and um, uh, uh, you know, laws have changed, like formerly you know, uh, Medicaid and other, other entities uh, you know, were not aimed at competitive employment. Um, the idea was that someone can build skills and then move into competitive employment. Um, so the idea was never that someone would go into a subminimum wage job and stay there. Um, the, the, the intent was they would get skills they need and they would go into a competitive job. That's not what we see on the whole scale of um, places that that utilize 14C. Really? Is that right? Yeah. And I think one of the things that I personally find offensive about these sort of laws is that, and, and again, there's the history aspect and that's, that's all, that's all well and good, fine. But like you said, this is uh, 2023. I personally find these laws offensive because what they, what this law says is that a disabled person is just by being disabled producing less. That means that we are working more slowly, that we are doing less than any person who is non-disabled. And 
that just sucks because they this law doesn't compare any other kind of people it doesn't compare people by race or gender or religion uh, nor nor should it i do not say it should in any way but it's it's equivalent to saying you know people with blonde hair you know they they work they work less or any number thing and by that standard that is discrimination federally but the federal standard that is discrimination and i i simply do not understand why these laws are still allowed to be in operation i mean do do you know why a, a good lobby maybe what what are we talking hey, well so um right now it, it it truly is state by state um you know i i think the you know the f Fair Labor Standards Act (FLSA) um, is a national um, law, but the 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 um, the way it is translated down is really state by state. So there are states that have decided that they are going to phase out sub-minimum wage. There are states that have said no. Um, and to your point, uh, you know, yes. Uh, what this says is that people with disabilities, we are um, not whole, right? Right. Yep. There's no way that we can be as whole as a non-disabled person. And that's that's just not true. So there are states that have said, no, this is this is wrong. You know, the litmus test is you you put in a different marginalized group, and if you think it's probably uh, uh, racism or sexism or, or you know, uh, anything like that, it, it, then it probably is for, for whatever, whoever, whichever group is they're doing that to, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So for sure. But, but, you know, there's, and it's, so it's state by state right now. It, and, and I, I do, you know, Beth, Beth kind of had a call to action, um, at the end there, that it, it really is, it's up to us to contact our legislators, not just our state legislators, our federal legislators, because it is a federal law, and we can get it changed on the federal level um, with enough support, and that would then make sure that all the states do it too, but um, on a state level, we can also advocate um, for state laws. There are states that have phased this out, uh, Virginia, Connecticut, Minnesota, New Hampshire, New York, and there's a few others that are in the process of phasing it out, including, I, I think, Tennessee, which is our neighbor, obviously. Um, Kentucky, interestingly enough, uh, I looked this up, Kentucky had a failed bill last year. Um, it was uh, House Bill 471. It died in committee, which means that uh, that's like where it starts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so they wanted to, to change it to increase the minimum wage. Um, it, it, it was tied to increasing the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Um, so, you know, it's hard to tell if it, it died. You know, it probably died because of that in the legislature. Mm-hmm. But it did include getting rid of subminimum wage. So, I mean, Beth's call to action. There's a groundswell of support. We just have to keep at it. And the way to keep at it is to, to keep calling or writing, emailing, whatever, sending, you know, social media, whatever is your preferred way to reach out to your uh, elected officials. Keep yeah. doing that. 
because they have to, they are accountable. They are accountable to us because we put them there and we put them in those jobs. And so they, they have to be accountable and they, they can only really, they are accountable to you and they, they need to tell you why. So write them, tell them what you want and then ask them why they haven't done that. Why haven't they done? Why haven't they uh, faced this out? So yeah, that was a really great interview with Beth. Uh, what was her last name? Say again. Uh, Beth Metzger. And if someone wants to get in touch with protection and advocacy, how might they do that? Um, so their main office is in Frankfurt. Um, they have a phone number. Their toll-free number is 1-800-372-2988. They also have an email address, which is kyp the word and, A-N-D, A, inquiry at gmail.com. So that's K-Y-P-N-A, inquiry at gmail.com. Um, you can also look them up on their website. It's kypa.net, and you can co contact them through there. Okay, and I will put all of those things in the show notes, and I will add um, links to where people in Kentucky can find lists of their um, elected officials. So thanks so much, Keith. Thank you for being our roving reporter and everyone else stay tuned for part two next time when Keith talks to more people at the conference. So thanks, Keith. Thanks, Kimberly. If you like the podcast, remember to follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you really like the podcast, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. That helps more people to find us. If you really, really like the podcast, then please tell someone about it, either in person or send them an email or just share the link on social media. Thank you all. Every bit helps and it makes a huge difference for us. If you'd like a transcript, please send us an email to demandanddisrupt at gmail.com and put transcript in the subject line. Thanks to Steve Moore for helping us out with transcripts. Thanks to Chris Unkin for our theme music. Demand and Disrupt is a publication of the Advocado Press with generous support from the Center for Accessible Living located in Louisville, Kentucky. And you can find links to buy the book, A Celebration of Family, Stories of Parents with Disabilities, in our show notes. Thanks, everyone. Say you've seen a change in me Just for once I think I would agree
Spells out the need for us to open up.